0: father in heaven we now come to ask humbly for your holy spirit to please be with us as we come gathering for a blessing as we're seeking your word lord please grace us with your presence that you might teach us that you might lead us and guide us into all truth and help us O lord to understand more than just the words that we read and the words that we hear but that you might give us wisdom to know how to apply these words to our lives today thank you O lord We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, greetings again, and thank you for joining us in our Bible study today. We are looking at study number six, Unreasonable Expectations. We're continuing our series on the kings, and especially those early kings, when the whole kingdom of Israel was united. And the last time we studied about Saul... It was that one act of presumption that he committed that led him to being rejected as king of Israel. He sacrificed a burnt offering which was only rightful for the priests to sacrifice. He went ahead and disregarded the command of God and did something which was not in his sphere, even as king who had authority over the whole land was not for him to do. He should have waited for Samuel the prophet to arrive and then make that sacrifice. Obviously, the Philistines were at his doorstep. They were making him anxious. But Samuel would say, now the Lord has rejected you from being king. And he left. What would Saul do next? The Philistines were still there. They were still waiting for an imminent attack. What would happen? Well, let's read our first text found in 1 Samuel 14, verses 1 to 3. That's 1 Samuel 14, 1 to 3. The Bible says, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the Philistine's garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father, and Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah, under a pomegranate tree which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. So Saul, he was not doing anything. The Bible simply says that he was just sitting and resting under a tree. Obviously discouraged from the event that had just happened to him from being rejected as king, he had lost his motivation to fight. However, his son, Jonathan, not so. He was getting restless. He saw the Philistines there. And so he and his armor bearer would go where the Philistines were encamped and see what they could do. No one knew that they had left. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart." Look, obviously Jonathan must have been a man of faith. He must have known about the stories that had happened in the past, those events that had happened in the past. It wasn't just a story, but these things really did happen where God did deliver by very few. He must have known about the story of Gideon and his 300 men who won a whole battle against this large host of Midianites. And you know, friends, those stories are still there for us today as well. They're not just simply stories. They are evidence of a great God. And our faith must learn to take hold of these things that we read in the Word as if they really happened because they did, friends. And they're there to inspire faith in us that no matter who is against us, no matter how big the army and the enemy seems to be, no matter how impossible it seems that things are against us, that we think it's not possible for us to move forward, God will still fight for us. Though the way may seem dark, though the way may seem dreary, God can still make a way where there seems to be no way. He can still give us the victory, irrespective of how long we've been in sin, how many times we've tried to fight, how impossible the circumstance may be. And not just that, friends. We see that Jonathan, his his armor bearer, was right there beside him. He said, whatever you do, I'm right there with you. And you see, friends, That's what faith does. It inspires others with confidence, not blind faith, but with confidence that when they can see that you are walking with God, they can have the confidence to follow forward as well. His armor bearer could trust him because he knew that Jonathan had his faith firmly placed on God. Let's keep reading. What do they do next? 1 Samuel 14 verses 8 to 10. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand in our place, and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, Come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. You know, friends, it's interesting to note here that. Jonathan was not literally going, God, I'm unsure, I'm unsure, and and just asking for a sign. He was stating how God would answer, how God would help him to decide what he should do. And what was it? You see, if God didn't want them to attack the Philistines, then the Philistines would say to them, stay there and wait for us to go to you. However, if God wanted Jonathan and his armor-bearer to attack the Philistines, then the Philistines would ask them to come up, ask them to go where they were. And yes, in essence, it, it was like a sign, and the Bible does say a sign at the end there. However, Jonathan was so confident that God was with them, you see, and would guide them. Note, he, he wasn't confident that God wanted them to attack But he knew that God would help him make the right decision when the time came. He knew his God, and he knew that God would answer him. He would give a very clear and plain way forward based upon what the Philistines said. Either stay there or come up. And you know, friends, how many of us can be so confident in the decisions that we make today? Do you know if if God is guiding you in your decisions in life? Are you confident that God is right there and guiding everything? Have you made it a point really to seek Him and to ask Him whether you should go down this path or make these certain decisions in regards to maybe choosing a job or in regards to getting into a relationship, whether you should be with this person or not? How many of us know whether this is the right person that God wants us to marry? You know, many times we make decisions that we don't even know if it's going to be a success or a failure or not. We enter into many decisions in ambiguity, unsure of whether it was even the right decision in the first place. But that was not the case with Jonathan. His decision was a life-threatening decision and he was not going to go into the camp of the Philistines based on chance with the possibility of losing his life. No, it was paramount for him that he knew the direction of God. He didn't want to play it by chance and the reason that he could be so confident in God's guidance was because he knew his God. He actually had a personal relationship with God, to the point that he had the assurance that God would answer him and guide him based upon the situation, based upon whether Philistines would ask him to stay where he was or ask him to come up. And that faith was infectious. You see, friends, when we walk with God and we have such assurance of God's guidance, I'm telling you, people can see it. People can have a confidence in how you walk with God and your relationship is so real with this God who is unseen. But yet, you can have confidence to move forward. Friends, how many of us really have that sort of assurance today? How many of us take time to make sure that God is with us before we go out the door to our work, to our studies, to our social enjoyments? How many of us are sure that God is in the midst Of all that we do. Jonathan was. He understood what God wanted for him. He knew that he was in the place where God wanted him to be and he was going to push the boundaries and the limits and he knew more than anything that his God was going to answer. You know, sometimes we need to have counselors counsel this person, counsel with that person, and many times we we get counsel until we find the right one that harmonizes with what we wanted in the first place. But with Jonathan, he had a direct connection, a link with God, that he had the assurance that God would answer him regardless. And, you know, he wasn't 100% sure that God wanted him to attack, but he knew his God would answer. And so, Jonathan and the armor bearer reveals themselves to the Philistines. How do the Philistines react when they see Jonathan and his armor bearer? 1 Samuel 14, eleven to thirteen. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer, and said, Come up to us, we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands, and upon his feet, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer slew after him. You see, the directive was too clear. The Philistines. When they saw them coming out of their hiding place, when they saw Jonathan there, they said, come up and we'll show you a thing or two. They were so confident that they had such a big army that who are these two people? They're nothing, right? Come up. And so that was the answer that all Jonathan needed. And for his armor bearer who had his faith really placed in in Jonathan and of course in God as well. But they knew then that God would fight for them. Let's keep going. 1 Samuel 14 14 to 15, and that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men within, as it were, a half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling." 20 men would fall at the hand of Jonathan and his armor-bearer. But not only that, the Bible says there was a great trembling in the host amongst the army. And notice at uh, at the end there, it says there was also a very great trembling. When you look at the concordance, and when you look at the meaning of that word trembling that you see at the end there, the word great, pardon me, not the word trembling, the word great, the Hebrew word is Elohim which is simply another word for God. You see, the trembling of the earth was not referring to the hearts of the Philistines and them being scared. Yes, they were trem- their heart trembled, yes. But it wasn't even the trembling referring to an earthquake that was shaking the land. It was a trembling of the earth that was caused directly by God. God was the one that was working through Jonathan and the armor-bearer. His presence was clearly there, and he was about to do something great. The Philistines could see it. They could feel it. Jonathan had the assurance, even then, that God was with him. And so when the earth begins to shake, something is happening. Maybe that part of the earth did not naturally shake. And so Jonathan, he, he's gone and he's fighting it. And, and Saul, the father, he does a quick head count. What's happening? There's this noise coming from the camp of the Philistines. What is happening? And he quickly discovers that Jonathan, his son, and the armor bearer is missing. And so what does he do? First Samuel chapter 14, verses 18 to 19. And Saul said unto Ahiah, Bring hither the ark of God. For the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass, while Saul talked unto the priest, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thy hand. What does Saul do? He calls for the ark of God. The furniture that carried the Ten Commandments. The furniture which many times in the past, it had the presence of God and When brought into battle, God would fight for them. How was the ark used in previous times? Let's also read Numbers chapter 10, verses 33 to 36. Look at this. This was the time of Moses, of course, when the Israelites were journeying in the wilderness. And it says, And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days' journey. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was upon them by day when they went out of the camp. And it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered. And let them that hate thee flee before thee. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. How was this ark used? It would be put at the front of the camp of Israel when they were moving about. And they would follow. The Ark of God. They would follow that that cloud. Yes, but it was the presence of God. And guess what? The presence of God was found at the Ark of the Covenant. It was a symbol that God was guiding them. The Ark of the Covenant was used in warfare against their enemies. When they marched around Jericho, the Ark of the Covenant was right at the front, along with the priests, the trumpeters, and then only the people and the army came after that. They, it was used in their warfare. Even that time when Eli's sons, they went out to fight, and they were slain, the ark of God was taken. This was a holy relic, in a sense, for them. And it became somewhat of a lucky charm, in a sense. So, you know, Saul knew that the presence of God was found in the ark of the covenant. And so he called the priest. He wanted to know whether he should attack or not. And what's so interesting is just as the the the, the priests are, are, are coming, right, and they're bringing this ark which contains the Ten Commandments, it's so interesting that Saul is calling for this. He's calling for God to help. He's calling for God to guide. And yet in the previous study that we looked at, what happened? He did not want to follow God. He did not want to follow the conditions that God asked him to follow, that the priests were the only ones that could sacrifice, right? God wanted him to wait for seven days. And Saul, on the seventh day, became too impatient and he offered the burnt offering himself. He could not wait for God to fulfill his will. And yet here he is now, wanting God to guide him. He didn't want to follow God's instructions earlier, but now he wanted a command from God and obviously his blessing as well. He wanted an assurance on what to do, that was something that Jonathan and the armor-bearer had, but he did not have. Jonathan knew God, and he knew that God was with him. But with Saul, not so much. He was rejected as king. It wasn't Samuel that was the one that rejected him. It was God that rejected him from being king. And so when we come back to this text found in 1 Samuel 14, we see that he, he calls for the ark of God. The priests bring that ark. And yet at the end, when, when he hears the noise of more uproar in the camp of the Philistines, he just asks the, the priest, guess what? I don't need you anymore. He asks him to withdraw his hand. He's too impatient for God to reply. God really hasn't even had a chance to reply before he asks the priest to withdraw his hand. This meant that he he wanted the priest to stop seeking an answer from God with the urim and the thummim which was the two stones that were on the priest's breastplate and he he didn't want an answer from God anymore the noise from the camp of the Philistines had distracted him to the point that he had no patience left to get this reply and you know maybe maybe he was just anxious for his son right we could say hey he was an anxious father maybe his son was being hurt He was anxious for that, but he calls the ark forward, and then he pushes it away. He wanted, but yet at the end, he didn't. And you know, sometimes, friends, we also get impatient with God as well. And we go only halfway in seeking God for a reply, for a response on what we should do. And we we come and we, we pray, but at the end of the day, we really want God to bless our plans. It's not that we really want to know his will, like what Jonathan did with his armor-bearer, right? If the Philistines tell us to stay, then God, you don't want me to attack. Even though he himself was anxious to do something, he was anxious to attack, but yet he was still willing to say, God, you're a guide. You have to make it clear. If they tell us to wait, then you don't want me to attack. If they call us up, then you're going to be with us, you see. But Saul, not so. He got impatient. He called for God's presence, but then he pushed it away. Let's keep reading though. 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 20. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomfiture. You see, the battle was in full swing by the time Saul arrived with his soldiers, and god had been clearly fighting for for jonathan and for the armor bearer because it says every man's sword was against each other i mean surely jonathan and the armor bearer were not doing all of that no it was god that was causing confusion in the camp of the philistines and so really god did not even need the presence of saul and all his troops but of course you know god still works through human instrumentality but the children of israel They're now coming out of their hiding place to join in the fight, and Saul also as well. However, he does more than just that. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel 14 and verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on my enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. So it seems like before the battle would begin, or maybe in the heat of the battle, Paul—pardon oh, me, Saul—calls out and says, "You cannot eat any food until the evening." Saul, what is he doing? He's trying to show zeal for the battle, but he rashly said that if anyone ate anything before evening came, that they would be visited with a curse. And you know, just by looking at what he said, how he said it, it's obvious that it was not for the zeal of God, but it was for himself. It was all about self. He said that he would be avenged on his enemies, rather than saying that God would be avenged of his enemies. All he was doing was thinking of himself. He cared not for the people, that they will be hungry in the middle of the battle. He was indifferent to their needs. He didn't think about them. All he thought was about himself and so as this 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 command had gone out what happened first Samuel 14 25 to 30 and all they of the land came to a wood and there was honey upon the ground and when the people were come into the wood behold the honey dropped but no man put his hand to his mouth for the people feared the oath which was the oath of Saul but Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Wherefore, he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes were enlightened. Then answered one of the people and said, Thy father straitly charged the people with an oath saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. Then said Jonathan, My father hath troubled the land. See, I pray you, how mine eyes have been enlightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if haply the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found, for had there not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? And so, what are we reading here? In the midst of the battle, as they're going forward. No one dared to touch this honey that had just been dripping from the trees. And the only person that did was Jonathan. But only after he had eaten, then the people told him, Hey, hey, your dad, he gave an oath saying, If anybody would eat, they would be visited with a curse. And Jonathan, obviously, had not heard his father's command. He was out there in the battlefield. He did not hear what the father had said. And so he took that honey and Not only that, he said, look, if only we had eaten, there would have been a greater slaughter because we would have had more energy to to keep fighting. So not only did he do it, but even after hearing it, he said, oh, my father's oath is not a good oath. It was a rash oath, even Jonathan said, but he cared not for it. And he stated that only if they had not listened, God would have worked even more tremendously. There would have been a greater slaughter of the Philistines, but after the battle, the war really was won, and they came to the end. Now, what happened next? What would happen next? First Samuel fourteen, verses thirty-one to thirty-three. And they smote the Philistines that day from Micmash to Agilon and the people were very faint. And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves, and slew them on the ground, and the people did eat them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord, in that they eat with the blood. And he said, Ye have transgressed, roll a great stone unto me this day. You know, because the people were so hungry at the very end of the battle, no one cared what they were eating, and to try to kill the animal properly, they just they just ate. And as a result, because of Saul's rash oath, It ended up worse than if Saul had allowed them to eat during the battle. They ended up transgressing the law, forbidding them to eat blood. And they ended up sinning against God. One bad or rash oath made it even worse at the very end. And you know, after this, Saul, he tries to offer sacrifice and to to draw near to God and to ask counsel on what should be done should he continue to pursue the Philistines. And what happens? What happens? You know, it seems like, hey, hey, stop sitting against God. And then, you know, he's trying to be like the one that would reconcile between the the troops and God. And then he tries to make the sacrifice. He wants to ask God for direction and counsel. What happens? 1 Samuel 14 and verse 37. And Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he answered him, not that day. What happens? God does not answer him. He doesn't answer him. He doesn't say a single thing. And Saul, you know, he immediately thinks that there's sin in the camp. Someone has been unfaithful. You know, there's a story Earlier on in the Old Testament, this man Achan, he takes this golden bar and a Babylon garment and and God instructs the people when Jericho is conquered, they are not to take anything. But Achan disregards, pardon me, and he takes something from Jericho there. And as a result, the children of Israel, they go out to fight another battle and God is not with them. And God tells Joshua there's sin in the camp because of the one sin it affected the whole army. And so Saul, he thinks that God is not answering him because someone has committed sin. And so that's why God has gone silent. And so by and by, they they cast lots. They're, They're trying to figure out just like how they cast lots for Achan, the tribe, and then the family, and then he was singled out, right? And so they cast lots, and the lot falls on Saul and Jonathan. And then they cast lots again, and Jonathan is chosen. And on discovering that, he realizes that, oh, Jonathan ate when he shouldn't have. Jonathan, you, you disregarded my oath, and that's the reason why God is not answering me. And so with zeal, look at what Saul says in 1 Samuel 14 and verse 44. And Saul answered, God do so, and more also, for thou shalt surely die. Jonathan. Yes, the very person who was responsible for the deliverance of Israel from the Philistines, Saul is ready to punish and put to death. And it's not that actually Jonathan sinned. Yes, he had gone against his father's oath, but that was not the reason why God had stopped answering. He had not sinned. He had disobeyed his father, but he had not sinned. And even if it was sin, he had done it ignorantly, it still was not sin. He did not know what the father had said during battle, that no one was to eat. Yes, after that he did, but he disagreed with his father. It was just one oath. It had nothing to do with the command of God. It was Saul's sin. And yet Saul pinned it on Jonathan. Yet it was through Jonathan that they had gotten a very great victory over the Philistines. God was obviously with Jonathan and not with Saul. However, Saul, he would hold on to his oath about not eating before the battle was done and before evening came. And to do anything else than to punish his son with death because he violated it unwittingly, unknowingly, would have shown that his oath actually was so hasty. His oath actually was so unreasonable. And so, you know, Saul, he was sitting there. Should I uphold my oath and kill my son? Or should I say, actually, I was wrong? And we know he was ready to kill his son for a rash oath. Why? Because of pride. Because of his reputation as king. I mean, surely, you don't expect anyone to disagree with me. And how could my son disregard me, right? Saul in his rashness, he wanted to go ahead with her. And so, if he were to do that, he also could not claim honor for the victory that day as well. But he had hoped to be honored for his zeal in maintaining the sacredness of his oath, even if that meant killing his own son. But what would happen next? Would Jonathan be killed? Let's keep reading. First Samuel 14, 45, And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die? Who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid, as the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, that he died not. The people, they stood up for Jonathan. They stood up against King Saul. They realized the injustice and the unreasonable of Saul's oath and command that they saved Jonathan from punishment and death. And Saul did not dare disregard the unanimous voice and verdict of the people. It was obvious that Saul was not preferred above Jonathan. Jonathan was held in high regard and it was very clear that it was because of Jonathan that the victory was wrought that day. God was the one that was working through Jonathan, and the people stood up in defense against the king. You know, in a short, amount of people, uh, a short amount of time, the people were led to see the foolishness of their decision in asking for a king. Saul, he stood one head higher than everyone else. He was well-built, he was muscular, he had the noble bearing of a king, but he lacked the important qualities of being good and just and merciful. Saul, he cared more for his own reputation. He cared more for his own pride. He cared more for his own glory rather than the glory of God. But you see, friends, it was too late. The wheels had been set in motion, and the nation of Israel was already reaping what they had sown in asking for a king. They were receiving the consequences of their own decisions, but they couldn't reverse it. They had asked for the king, and they would go down this path for hundreds and hundreds of years. But they saw very clearly that Saul was not the king that they were hoping he would be. He was in his outward form, but not in character. And you see, friends, that is the sort of rashness that we have sometimes where we decide to go against what God says. But even if we regret the choice that we make, oftentimes God does not reverse the decisions that we have made. We gotta be careful. Galatians chapter six and verse seven reminds us, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. They could see that they had chosen an unreasonable king. They had chosen someone that cared not for the goodness and the welfare of the people. They had not chosen someone who had the good and right qualities to lead in someone that they could trust. They had chosen someone who only cared for self. They had chosen someone who cared about their pride and their reputation above anything else, rather than even though finding themselves in the wrong, to repent he would hold to, to that wrongness simply because of his own pride. And you know, friends, we need to make be careful with the decisions that we make as well. Some may take a lifetime to undo the rashness of a one-off decision. Just look at Jacob who lied to his dad in stealing his birthright. It took over 20 years to repay that sin. Look at the sin of King David in killing Uriah and committing an adultery with his wife Bathsheba. He would pay back for that sin many times over. Samson, in just that one moment in telling um, the, 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 that woman the the secret to his strength, he would pay with his eyes and his life. And now Israel, living in deep regret in the choice of the king that they had chosen. They had no choice left but to live out the beginning of his, this nightmare that they were in. And Saul and his unreasonable expectation of the army and his rash oath was just beginning. The rashness of his life and the unreasonable of his own thinking would be replayed out many times over in his life as we will study into the future. But friends, we need to ask God to help us to make wise decisions to be able to think calmly, to not get caught up with the prideful decisions of our own hearts. We've got to ask God to give us a clear mind to to think. And when we don't see the end from the beginning, when people have never walked this path before us, and even if they have, sometimes the decision is different. Sometimes the outcome is different. We still got to ask God, God, what is it that you want me to do? Sometimes, God doesn't answer because he wants us to wait. Sometimes, yes, God doesn't answer because we're in sin. Then we got to come back to God and ask for repentance, ask for forgiveness, ask for a change in life. How much, friends, do we desire God's leading in each and every one of our lives? We will always reap what we have sown, but may we reap unto eternal life. May we reap unto joy and happiness and love and contentment. God, He desires us to be happy. He wants the very best for us, not just in the world to come, but even in the life that we are living today. But that means we've got to take time. We've got to take time to walk with Him. We've got to be patient in the answers that He gives us. And sometimes that answer is just in silence. He just doesn't want us to move. And so often, friends, We just want to move on to a new job. We want to move on into a new relationship. We want, it seems like the grass is greener on the other side. But sometimes God says, just wait my child, just wait. And may God help us to discern his leading and his calling. Because even when he leads us into the valley, he will be with us as well, because he has led us there. May God help us, help us to be patient May God help us to discern his leading and his guidance in our lives today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you, Lord. I want to thank you that you care for us so much and that even sometimes we, we don't realize how this decision that you seemingly give us can be good for us. But Lord, help us to trust you. Help us not to be unreasonable. Help us not to walk ahead of you. Help us not to make decisions out of emotion, a rash decision just like Saul. Help us, Lord, that even when we found fighting on the wrong side or found making the wrong decision, that you'd give us the humility to turn and to change. Lord, please guide us and lead us and help us to have the mind and the heart and the life of Christ that truly today we might be found walking with you and doing your will. Thank you, O Lord, we just surrender our lives again to you today, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks. Uh, well, friends, thanks for joining us this evening. May God bless each and every one of you, and may God help us to have a calmer emotion in this coming week, a clearer mind to think, that we might learn to walk with Christ this week. That He is the one that will clear the dust. He will settle it, help us to see clearly how we can move forward with Him in the decisions that we have to make in this coming week, in the life that we have to lead in this coming week, that may all be found in Christ. May God bless you, friends. Until we meet again, may you stay close to our friend and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This media was brought to you by Audioverse